Welcome to Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition. Our mission is to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. Hello, I'm your host, Jordan Rich. Recently, the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition sponsored an evening with the CEO of the American Cancer Society, Dr. Karen E. Knudsen. In her talk, she supported the educational efforts of the Mass Prostate Cancer Coalition, along with other like-minded organizations, and urged us all to keep up the fight. A key part of our efforts and that of the American Cancer Society is to reach a population of men, African-American men, who are at higher risk of developing prostate cancer at a younger age, and often the disease goes undiagnosed, and untreated until it's too late. Representing the American Cancer Society, Dr. Knudsen and I talked about her intense dedication to taking on prostate cancer and winning for men of all races and socioeconomic backgrounds. It's an honor to welcome Dr. Karen E. Knudsen to our podcast. Why don't we start with an overview, Dr. Knudsen, of prostate cancer in the country. We're going to be talking about African-American men, but in general, What's the handle on prostate cancer? Where are we in 2023? Yeah, it's where, where we are in 2023 is not where we need to be on many levels. So as we sit here tonight, prostate cancer is the most frequently diagnosed malignancy of men in this country and the second leading cause of cancer death. So this is something that has unfortunately been true for all too many years. And although we've had a number of new interventions that have been life extending for men with metastatic disease, we still have no cure, no durable cure for metastatic prostate cancer. So all the more important that we catch cancer early when it can be readily, uh, readily eradicated. We know that someone who is diagnosed with truly localized prostate cancer stands a very strong chance at cure either through radiotherapy or surgical intervention or both. But it is the case that all too many men are being diagnosed at later stage. In fact, one of the things that we do at the American Cancer Society every year is we track cancer incidence, cancer mortality, uh, and trends by demographic and geography across the country every year. And what we've seen, and we reported out earlier in 2022, is that for the last several years, we've seen a shift in prostate cancer diagnosis to later stage disease, about a four to 6% increase year over year of men being diagnosed with later stage disease. And this is a challenge. We can talk a lot about what the underpinning reasons are that we think that we're seeing this shift. But one thing that is unequivocally true is that we need to ensure that all men who can and should be screened uptake prostate cancer screening at present, prior to COVID, where we know screening levels went down, prior to COVID, screening levels for eligible men in the United States was about 33%, all demographics. Mm. So we need to do better. If it's the second leading cause of cancer death and we have only one third of eligible men being screened, that's a problem. From your perspective, what are the major sticking points? What are the major problems? Is it lack of education? Is it men wanting to be men and just put off going to the doctor or what? Well, as the mother of two sons <laughs> and only having <laughs> brothers, I have a lot of speculation on that. But I do want to, inter- I'm being cheeky, but I do want to introduce some data. Sure. So part of it is the confusion that the public has about prostate cancer screening. Now there was, uh, an, an, a, you know, prostate cancer was first in field. 
the first solid tumor for which we had a blood-based marker, prostate-specific antigen or PSA, that could give an indication as to whether or not someone is at risk for having prostate cancer and whether or not this elevation of PSA is related to cancer. Now, when PSA was introduced, this was really a milestone in cancer biology and cancer care for us to be able to have this blood-based non-invasive marker. And the concern downstream was that too many men were being detected with prostate cancer and being overtreated, early stage cancers that could have been watched instead of and actively monitored instead of being removed, caused harm. That while that was true, uh, we blamed the test instead of blaming the, con the clinical decision making that happened downstream of the test. We've moved on. It's 2022. We are much more sophisticated now as an oncology field about how to handle someone who has an elevated PSA. There is not, nor should there be, this rush to surgical intervention or radiotherapy intervention. There's much more sophisticated strategy to determine whom should be stratified into a, an active surveillance program so that we're watching that person and whom should be rapidly entered into an intervention like surgical intervention or radiotherapy. So we confused men, and by that I mean we also confused primary care physicians, we confused urologists. Um, there was a swinging of the pole in the U.S. guideline scenario as relates to when someone should be screened and what happens. So, you know, PSA testing by itself causes no harm. I'd love to shout that from the rooftops. It's the clinical decision-making downstream of PSA testing that's really important. So we've got to just very clearly articulate to men when is the right time to be screened. You know, for someone of average risk, we would say at the minimum at age 50, you understand your average PSA score. But for men who have a family history, not just of prostate cancer, but men who have a family history of pancreatic cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, the BRCA-related cancers, may be at risk for more aggressive prostate cancer and could be considered to be screened earlier. African-American men, or men of African descent, also have the potential to develop more aggressive prostate cancer. So understanding when is the right time for African-American men to begin PSA screening and prostate cancer screening is one of the things that we're undertaking at the moment. We are, at, as we speak, in progress of rewriting our prostate cancer guidelines. This is a major turning point then, because for so many years, and I've done these interviews for years, we've talked to clinicians who said, Better wait, not test. It's not important to test, it's important to wait. And the mixed messages and the muddled messages really confused a lot of men. And you know what happens when men get confused? We ignore everything else and move on. That's exactly right. And that's that confusion we're aiming to eliminate. Right. When it is the case that there are these, and I'm going to go back to them, the universal truths, we can cure early stage prostate cancer. We have no durable cure for metastatic disease. And prostate cancer remains and in its throne as the second leading cause of cancer death for men. You cannot ignore the opportunity to, for curative treatment early, in early stage prostate cancer. And the way to manage early stage prostate cancer has become much more sophisticated. Again, stratifying men into the right regimen for them, which can include active surveillance. But all of that takes into consideration much more than their age and their PSA score and, and, and the, the pathology. It's their family history, 
it's their genetics if they know it it is you know their overall lifestyle and overall life expectancy there's a lot that goes into that algorithm which is different than what we were seeing in the 90s which was you have a high psa let's just take it out so there are many choices that need to be individualized to the patient but i am not satisfied by the number of men dying every year of prostate cancer that could have been remedied that could have been cured if detected earlier logistical log jams confront all of us but particularly in minority communities and it's not always racist in its nature but it is economic and socioeconomic in its nature there are lots of things beyond the medicine that are stumbling blocks what in general can we look to do about yeah so we touched on one and that's the education of patients and primary care physicians and you know those out in the in the community oncology or community urology setting to ensure that men are getting screened and then having appropriate decision making downstream so those two those two things need to come to pass but also where possible bringing screening to the patient so you know before i came to head the american cancer society i was leading one of the nation's major cancer centers in philadelphia in a 16 hospital system across two states we had a screening van and yes the screening van had tomography on board so that we could actually get mammography done out in every community of philadelphia but in particular where we knew we had screening deserts we also had a little room in the back where we loaded up the urology team, we loaded up pathology and did on-site PSA testing and digital rectal exams. And that, I think, is a patient-centric way to ensure that every man has an opportunity. So I know that there are additional screening vans across the country. I know there's at least one here in Boston. I don't know if they have the possibility to put uh, prostate cancer screening mobile, but from my experience as a cancer leader, I think that's a win. I've also seen this happen in the UK. So at Manchester's Cancer Center in the United, in the United Kingdom, they have been very successful in eradicating some of their prostate cancer disparities by putting PSA screening on wheels. What about clinical trials in which there isn't enough of a population being tested to overcome you know, difficulties in, in determining what they need? We have so much work to do in this area. Some of it's not understood. So one of the greatest, if not the greatest disparity that exists in cancer is black men with prostate cancer. They have twice the mortality rate of men. And it's not the screening rate. They're both screened at 33% of the population. That's not where the answer lies. At least that's what the data would tell us. So what is it? Are we not giving men an opportunity of all demographics to receive standard of care, to receive that earlier intervention? So in other words, is it the clinical decision making? Is it something that's additionally associated with the genetics of risk? We know a lot about the genetics of risk of prostate cancer from white men from European descent. We know exceptionally little about the genetics of risk in other populations, including black men, an opportunity, and an opportunity that the American Cancer Society is hoping to embark upon because of that call to action. But you know, these, these are some of the, it's probably multifactorial what is, uh, what is happening, but certainly when we look at that disparity in mortality between black men and white men, we also find that unacceptable and an area that, for which we need to improve. 
Can I ask you just to comment on the state of affairs in general when it comes to cancer? There are so many exciting things. There's still a long road ahead, but genetic testing, and I think that would certainly factor into those of minority communities. Genetic testing is, is revolutionizing a lot of the the research into cancer treatment? So genetic testing is, um, there's a, a role to play here for the American Cancer Society with regard to advocacy. So we know that GINA law protects individuals who undergo genetic testing from discrimination at the level of employment, at the level of their medical insurance, but it does not protect them at the level of their life insurance. So the closer one is to becoming the breadwinner of a family, the more hesitant that these individuals are for undergoing genetic testing. And in the current era, that still is majority men. So some studies have shown that men have a significant hesitancy to undergo genetic testing because of this potential barrier. We're trying to solve this through our advocacy group. Now, it's also the case that genetic assessment has happened um, that assesses genetics of the tumor that in an incidental way can also uncover the, the germline genetics, the, the, the genetics someone was born with when someone's been diagnosed with cancer, including prostate cancer, and trying to match them to therapy. So that kind of testing is starting to give us some insights into the genetics of disease, but a much more deliberate effort needs to happen. You also touched on something that I didn't get a chance to pick up on, and that's clinical trials. So there are significant uh, gaps in clinical trials in terms of whom is being enrolled. And one of the most recent large uh, reviews, meta-analyses studies that went back and looked at a large number of clinical trials, and prostate cancer was a major focus, showed that although black men have twice the mortality of whites, that, they, that whites are overrepresented by 40% on clinical trials for prostate cancer. So we're working very hard as well on our advocacy strategy, including the Diverse Trials Act, as well as working with FDA and CMS to create common sense guidelines that ensure that clinical trials are designed in a way for which the diversity is appropriate for the disease being studied. For prostate cancer, one can only imagine what those guidelines would look like to ensure that enrollment for a new proposed clinical trial that's meant to lead to registration of a new agent, for example, or you know, approval of a new treatment regimen would be aligned to what the incidence of mortality looks like from a demographic perspective. That, for us, is where we think we need to move the needle. And finally, would the success, in quotes, of the breast cancer awareness campaigns, I mean, the NFL wearing pink ribbons, everybody knows the month of October. Prostate Cancer Awareness Month is actually September. And I am absolutely committed to making sure that most more people know that and that we use September as a way to educate men about prostate cancer. And it was the success of the Movember Foundation. And I give them a lot of credit yeah. for raising that awareness. And it was simply the relationship to the, the word Mo being short for mustache in Australia. And so like, <laughs> 100%, that's where it came from. Well, that shows you how good marketing can it's pay off. Quality marketing moves mountains. Absolutely. And I know it's the goal of the American Cancer Society to do all of the things that you have to do, which is outreach and research and care for people in treatment. But it's also bending that needle in the right direction. If we started talking about that, it's a lofty goal, but are you confident that you can achieve this? I've been aiming as, a pers as an oncology researcher to eradicate ca prostate cancer and relieve the burden of men and their families from prostate cancer from the outset of my career. 
If I did not have that as a major goal as the CEO of the American Cancer Society, I would not be doing my job. Men are being underserved. We need to do more to ensure that they have every opportunity to detect cancer early, to eradicate it, and not have to suffer from metastatic disease. So I have every confidence that we can and will move that dial. Well, I can't thank you enough. You've been so nice to give us some time, and I know you're giving a talk tonight. Thank you very much, Doctor. I would come back anytime. Thank you. A conversation with Dr. Karen E. Knudsen, CEO of the American Cancer Society, with support for what we're doing at the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition, and the idea that with us all rolling up our sleeves and doing the hard work, prostate cancer can be defeated. To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition, and to hear the Prostate Cancer in You podcast, go to masspcc.org. That's masspcc.org. You can also download and listen on Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and with all Android players. This podcast was brought to you in part through a grant from Pfizer. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a fabulous day.